The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to do that. I, I want to trust and believe God to do something really fantastic in each of us this morning as we're in the Word. If you are, are taking notes, I've got a few things that you can take down. Obviously, if you are, have been around for the past few weeks, you're aware that we've been in a series uh, concerning love. Uh, the definition of love, it's, it's biblical definition and, and our uh, call to operate in love according to that biblical definition. We're going to continue in that series today as, as we get to the, the uh, back side of that. There's only a few more messages left, but we're going to see a few things today that I think are absolutely necessary according to the scripture and according to our life experience that we need to see these things exist in our life. If you're taking notes, I want to give you a few things to find. Uh, if you want to write these things down, you can. They're things to look forward to. Uh, one of the first things we're going to find is what we ought to do, what we ought to be doing. You know, ought might not be a word that, that we use often, or you can substitute the word should for ought. Uh, so basically, as you become a believer, if the word tells you that you should be doing this or you ought to be doing this, what that reveals is that it's not automatic. It's not like you become a Christian and this is the result. You become a Christian and this should be the result, meaning your choices and your actions are going to be the deciding factor in whether this, which ought to be in our lives, is in our lives. And we ought to, excuse me for that, pay attention to it. So what we ought to do, another thing we're going to find is how to know if you're spiritual. How to know if you're spiritual. I mean, that's kind of a thing now, right? I mean, spiritual or spirituality, or am I a spiritual person? Well, I mean, the Bible's got some really great news for us and some information and direction there. But you can see in our culture there's a hunger for spirituality. I mean, this is a really goofy example, but I get a kick out of it. Uh, many of you may know my wife is a bit of a rock hound, so we'll go and we'll hunt for stones and rocks and, and gems and things like that, and, and have found some really incredible things. And when you find things, then you, you begin to investigate, you know, what it is, where it came from, and, and you can find some really uh, amazing information. You can also find some people that are really desperate for something spiritual, and they're just absolutely kooky, you know. I mean, I found a certain thing, and we looked it up, and, and you found all kinds of people that told you the energy that it had, that it was good for all kinds of spiritual things. It was bizarre. So the first thing I thought was, I'll sell it to you, you know. I mean, shoot me a bid. Come on, what's the... And then we found an, a, a rock that was this special rock in Wyoming, and it was, this, it was really cool to find it, and it was an amazing experience when we did find it. And we were doing some research on it. Well, apparently... People were claiming that it was this really spiritual thing to own this rock and possess it because it had billions of years of wind energy stored up inside of it. And they're just thinking like, well, well, I'll be, you know. Yeah. But there's people, they're hunting for something spiritual so much so that if you even hand them a rock, they're going to try to find something to make that a spiritual experience. I mean, I hear it and I think it's kind of loony or kooky, but the reality is they're hungry for something spiritual. We're going to find out, you know, how to know if you're spiritual, you know, how to know if you're spiritual, which, by the way, you are a spirit. You're a body, a soul, and a spirit. 
So you are a spirit. So when we find out how to know if you're spiritual, it's about seeing how much that spirit that you are is active and leading you in your everyday life, your choices, decisions, evident in those things, etc. We're going to see that in the Word. It's a very handy thing to uh, use as a, a measuring stake in, uh, in how we're living our lives. A third thing we're going to find is the path to unity. The path to unity. Now, this is a big deal. I mean, we want to see unity in our families. We want to see unity within marriages. We want to see unity uh, in, in the workplace. And, and obviously for us here as a, a body of believers, we want to see unity in a congregation. Now, there's a pathway to that. Uh, unity is kind of a, a, a word that I grew up around. I mean, it was a bit of a, a life message for some of the ministers that, that I grew up under and would listen to their teachings, and they were always fixed on, on unity. In fact, I ministered with a, 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 an individual who was so drawn to and moved by unity that he was obviously, no matter what, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, there were opportunities where our heads would, would, would butt because of his commitment to unity. He would say, I would rather be unified and be wrong than be disunified and be right. And that just destroyed my thinking from the inside out. I thought, my goodness, why would you ever want to do that? I mean, and if, if that's the case, then we could all be unified and go join a cult somewhere, and that would be okay by you. And, and I don't see that as a, a thing. But scriptural unity is a priority. This guy was so willing to pursue unity because he saw how much God valued it, and that's why he was in pursuit of it. And unity is not just something that can be declared. It's something that is lived out and executed through a series of lifestyles and, and commitments within a body. And I want to look in the scripture of what those commitments are so that we can embrace those together and come to, to make it all the way down that path to unity and experience God's promise there, unified. Uh, so we've got those things set before us. Those are some pretty big promises, and we're going to get into the Word and get into those things. The first thing I said, we're going to find out what we ought to do. We're going to find that now. So if you have your Bibles, you know the foundation for, for our, our series has come from 1 John and also 1 Corinthians. I want to ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. I want to encourage you to stay dialed in this morning. I really believe uh, in the timeliness of this message for my life, for your life, as we move forward together. What we ought to do, we're going to find that in 1 John, beginning in uh, uh, verse 7 of chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 4, you get to verse 7, it opens with this, Beloved. Now, I've stopped there on occasion as we've gone through this series to identify that this is being addressed to you. I mean, it's no different than if, if I were to write you a note and put your name at the beginning. You know, you are the beloved. You're the one that this note is being addressed to. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son, that's Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now again, propitiation is a big word meaning that Jesus took your place. The cross, all of the beating and the death, that was meant for you. We deserved it, but Jesus took our place. That word propitiation is a wonderful and powerful word. 
Now, and when we get to verse 11, we see, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The word goes on to say that if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And of course, the result of God's love being perfected in you is a life where there's no room for fear or anxiety to exist because of the wonderful power of God's love as revealed in 1 John, being powerful to drive out all fear and anxiety. Verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When I mentioned before, we're going to find what we ought to do, there it is. When we become Christians, when we become believers, when we are born again, this now is the ought to that enters into our lives. Our choices, our decisions, our actions, our activities, our words, the things that are produced in our lives are meant to bring this into existence because this is what we ought to do. With everything that God's given us, all of the tools that he's given us, all of the power and the authority that he's given us, the ought to that should be the result is this love for one another. In fact, I want to give you a passage of scripture. I want to just refer to it, if you're willing to humor me, as Jesus's law. Now, it's kind of interesting to say Jesus's, right? Try not to spit when you do it, Jesus's. But it's Jesus's law. You could call it the law of Jesus or his instruction or commandment. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 13. We're going to see this, but as we get into the word, we're going to see what's necessary to actually fulfill this. I love the power of God's word, that it's not simply a tool to measure your life by and realize that you come up short and leave you frustrated or empty, but rather it's instruction and power to fill in all of the gaps and all of the voids so that we can actually do and accomplish what we've been called to do and accomplish. John 13, beginning in verse 34, Jesus is speaking and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another, even as I have loved you that you also would love one another. He goes on to reveal in verse 35 that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now when I hear that passage, I kind of pick up that Jesus is banging on pots and pans here. I mean, like even when you just read it here in, in front of the group, you can hear love one another being repeated. Love one another, love one another, love one another. He's not letting this just kind of fly under the radar as like, yeah, God wants me to share some stuff with you today. Uh, you know, do this, do this, love one another, do this, do this, and everything's going to be okay. But he's making sure that this point is being really focused on, really uh, drawn to everyone's attention. He's pulling it out in front, and he's drawing everyone's eye to it for the purpose of seeing that this is a really big deal. As he speaks and he reveals this commandment, this new commandment that he's giving, it's to love one another even as he has loved for us to love one another. And he's revealing that it's accomplishing this that's going to reveal to the world that we're his followers, that we're following in his footsteps, that we're living our lives the way he lives his life. And as he gives us this law, we'll see later on in the scripture what's necessary to see it come to pass, to see it fulfilled as he's introduced this commandment or this instruction. But you can see the importance of love. From the writings of John, as we read that, that those who are love one another are born of God, know God, that we must love in order to know God because God himself is love. And if God loved us, we ought to love one another. And Jesus gives the commandment for us to love one another. And this is how all men will know that we're followers of him. I want to find out what it means to love. 
Uh, you know, we've said it a few times, obviously, and it starts to, you know, lose its humorous value, but the word love is kind of worn out in my vocabulary. I mean, I can declare my love for food or movies or things like that, and it's just become a descriptive word for something that is highly liked. But I want us to catch the definition of love for the purpose of rightly applying it to our lives, to realize the purpose and and the intention behind God's call for us to love one another. It's not just to like one another or just to get along. You know, hey guys, uh, it's going to be a while before I send my son back to bring you all home with me. Just try not to kill each other in the meantime. You know, love one another. But he's giving us this instruction. When he's giving us the word to love one another, and we understand what the word love is, we can see that this is a devotion, a commitment. It's going to require laying down everything that is selfish and putting each other first. By definition, the word love contains some wonderful and powerful elements that are all-inclusive. Love never is without any of these elements. Now, we've turned to the scripture for this definition, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, reading through verse 8, we see all of these elements that make up the definition of love. The first words, love is. Now you can just take into uh, uh, your, your thinking and your thought process that the words that follow this are making up the definition or the identity of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own. Love is not provoked or doesn't think evil. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. Now, as we wanted to get a stronger understanding of what love actually is, so that it's more than just a descriptive word in our vocabulary for the things that we like, we've looked at these elements that make up love. We've, de we've defined patience and kindness. We've talked about what it means to not envy. We've gone down this list and we've made it quite a ways. In fact, we've made it all the way to verse 7. Today we're going to look at love bears all things. Love bears all things. Now, before we kind of dig in deep to that, I think you just look at what's on the surface. You have the word all there. Now, that's an amazing word. I mean, it doesn't leave any room for condition. So let's just talk about a relationship where love exists, the relationship between me and my spouse or me and my children. For love to bear all things, it doesn't mean that love can take a day off there where finally I'm allowed to snap. Oh, I've been fed up. And by the way, I have snapped. I have been, you know, at the end of the rope or fed up or whatever. And the error is not on the ones that are pushing. It's on my end. I am the one that is called to bear all things. Though provocation does exist in this world, the call to endure is on the one who is loving. It's on me. It's on you. In the same way that it was on Jesus to bear and endure. And never one day just say, you know what, Preston, I've put a lot into this. And I'm really not getting a lot out of it. And I, I just don't think this is working out. If at any point Jesus could decide not to bear all things, it would be a terrifying moment in my life. 
When I consider the constant provocation, the constant tribulation or trial that I would bring into that relationship, I'm so grateful that love in its full measure, that love in its full definition is willing and able and called to bear all things. Now, I don't know what translation you you hold there in your lap if you have a Bible with you. I read a New American Standard for for reading and I'll cross-reference with a King James But I love to look at other translations for the purpose of how they interpret the words, how they translate the words. And I really like a translation that you find in the NIV. If anyone here has an NIV, your your translation probably reads like this. When you get to to verse 7 there, rather than bears all things, your Bible might say always protects. Love always protects. Now, I've mentioned before that we, we are in this message, you know, I mean, we use the word love often. That it's, it's a word that is used in our vocabulary a lot. It's very easy for me to express love to my wife or, honey, I love you, I, I love you. Then you could ask, you know, could I say with the same uh, uh, confidence, I'm kind to you? Or could I say I'm patient with you? I get to this and I have to ask myself, could I say that I always protect? Am I always in the position of protecting? Well, if you're always in the position of protecting in a relationship, then that means you're never the afflictor. You're never the one bringing the assault. Rather, you're the one shielding against the assault. And I'm really excited for the message today because I want this to be how my love in my marriage, my love for my children, my love for a congregation, I want this to be a part of love in my life released through me. To be the protector, not the afflictor. Not the one who would abandon, not the one who would reject, not the one who would afflict, but the one that would shield and be the barrier between the affliction and the individual being afflicted. So I want to give you a couple of things here as we get into the word. The idea that love bears all things or always protects. I want to talk about why Jesus went to the cross. I'll give you a passage of scripture here if we just want to answer that question really quickly out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it just reads like this. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins for many. You can read the rest of the passage in your own time, but you can see the reason why Jesus Christ went to the cross, to bear the sins of many, to protect us from our sins. He went there to introduce a barrier, so to speak, or a shield from all that would afflict us, all that would bring confrontation or destruction into our lives. He stood in the middle and he took the hit for every man, woman, and child. And there's something that God does every day. I mean, you could say Jesus does this every day. I'll give it to you out of the Psalms here, Psalm 68, verse 19. Psalm 68, verse 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who is our salvation. So as we begin to understand that love bears all things, love always protects, or love bears all things, we see that this is not a one-time thing. It's, It's a daily activity in our relationship with Jesus who's called us to be in fellowship with one another with the exact same love that he has for us. He said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another in the same way I love you, love one another. And the way that he loves me is daily he's bearing my burden. Daily he's protecting me. Daily he's not exposing me, 
belittling me or beating me down. Rather, he is a shield protecting me. He is bearing those things on my behalf. Now, we're called to do the exact same thing, and I promise you we have plenty of opportunity to do so. I mentioned before, we're going to find in the Scripture how to fulfill the commandment that Jesus gave. And we jokingly referred to it as Jesus' law out of John 13, when he said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, also you should love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. We'll revisit more out of Galatians, but right now, just Galatians 6, verse 2. With that commandment that Jesus would give us fresh on your mind, that commandment to love one another, I want to give you Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and let's see what dots are connected by the Holy Spirit in our minds. Galatians 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when I hear the commandment that Jesus gives in John 13, that call to love one another, even as he has loved us, I mean, I can take that and I can think that is an amazing, wonderful, powerful, poetic passage of Scripture. I can print it on T-shirts. I can print it on greeting cards. I can print it on bumper stickers. I can, can make sure that it's highlighted in my Bible. But to understand what he's asking me to do, I think I have to see what the Spirit's revealing in Galatians 6 too, what it means to love one another, how I can actually fulfill this commandment so that it doesn't just remain this, this commandment that's hanging over my head as something that I'm called to do. It can be something that I understand how to accomplish, how to bring to pass. Galatians 6 2 is the call to bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, we fulfill the instruction that Jesus would give. It brings me to a place where I realize that bearing burdens or bearing all things, that which makes up love, is a really important and necessary element in my life and in my love. Without bearing one another's burdens or without bearing all things, it's going to be very difficult for me, according to Galatians, to fulfill the instruction that Jesus would give to love one another. So I want to turn to the dictionary for a moment. I think it's important that we know what the word bear means. I've been told it's a true story. A, a wedding was, was planned and scheduled and the wedding day came and, and during the wedding everyone is running around and they're doing their parts and their, their plans and, and all of the, the wonderful joy and chaos and the combination of the two are taking place and, and finally it's time and the music begins and people take their places and, and everyone's in their position and then a moment comes in the service where a young man, a little boy, walks down the middle of the aisle and he just looks on both sides of the aisle and he begins to do this. And he goes all the way down the aisle and he gets to the end. And when he was asked, what were you doing? He said, my job. I said, so what are you talking about? I said, I'm the ring bearer. <laughs> yeah, the ring bearer. 
I want to know what, the, what it means to bear. What it means to bear one another's burdens. I mean, it can't just be something that we read in, in church and think, well, that sounds nice. Hopefully, that'll stick and, and it'll just happen. What I want to do is understand what it means so that we can intentionally make the choices and the decisions to make that happen in our lives, to bear with one another. So we turn to the, the concordance. You know, We're going to get some definition from a concordance here. The word that is, is translated bear. So one of the first uh, translations is to thatch or to cover. Now, I mean, many of us have, have shingles on our rooftop or things like that, but you know, there was a time in construction where you would thatch a roof. You would take a, a series of materials and you would layer it so that, so that when the water came down, it would, would not come into the home or the dwelling, but it would run off. It would, it would be a barrier to protect to thatch or to cover. Now, when we think about bearing one another's burdens, what a wonderful thing to consider. That Jesus is the thatch. He's the roof. He's the cover over my life so that when all of the affliction or accusation from the accuser of the brethren enters into my life, I stand free from that touching me. It's a barrier that makes it just wash away. It's gone. It never touches me. To thatch or to cover, it's a very interesting definition there. Here's another one that comes. To protect or keep by covering or to preserve. Well, now this is kind of the same definition, but rather it goes a little deeper to reveal the purpose, right? I mean, I'm going to cover and I'm going to do this, and now it's got purpose behind it. It's not just to thatch or to cover, but it's to, to cover in order to protect and to preserve so that we're not washed away or, or, or left to rot, but rather we're preserved. I'll give you this third definition here. Uh, by covering to keep off something which threatens, to bear up against, to hold out against, and so endure, to bear or forbear. Now that one's a little deeper. I mean, it started with just to cover, and then it says to cover to, to preserve, and then this third one goes a lot deeper, to cover to keep something off, to keep away that which threatens, to bear up against, to hold out against, to so endure, to bear, to forbear. What a wonderful thing to consider, that the love that God has placed inside of you that's meant to flow out of you is meant to stand as a barrier between you and those that God has called you to love, to protect them. To protect them against accusation and affliction. To protect them against weariness and giving up. To protect them at all times. To be bringing the encouragement and the provision and all that's necessary to see to it that everything that Satan is looking to dump on them, to bring rot, to bring destruction, to bring misery into their life, you can be a shield. A wonderful thing to consider. But the questions that I have is, how do we do this? I mean, how can we make this enter into our lives and be a part of our, our daily lives? How, how do we bear up? I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. I have written down here verse 1. If that's not correct, feel free to correct it. It reads like this, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those who are without strength. Now, I mean, you could stop there and you would think, wow, that's an amazing passage of Scripture. But it still doesn't give me any kind of an answer when I'm asking, how does this work? 
When you read the whole scripture and you get the whole context, all of a sudden now it begins to make sense. You begin to realize why and how it is that Jesus is the example of this in our lives, that he would bear our burden daily. The full passage reads like this. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. In order to bear all things, selfishness has to go. Putting oneself first is a tremendous obstacle to living out a life where we bear one another's burdens. And if bearing one another's burdens is the catalyst for this love that fulfills the instruction of Christ and to bear one another's burdens, we must be selfless, then no wonder our enemy is sowing selfishness like mad in this culture. He's not going to stand up in churches and, and say, you shouldn't obey Jesus Christ. All he's going to do is sow seeds of selfishness. And he won't have to say that. Because the more selfish we become, the less we bear with one another. And the less we bear with one another, the less we follow the instruction of Jesus Christ. And the less we follow the instruction of Jesus Christ, we don't even look different to the world. But we look just like them. Selfishness is the enemy. So the question was posed, you know, when we were talking about the things we were going to find. Are you spiritual? Am I spiritual? I'm not talking about, you know, how much you're willing to bid on eBay for a crystal that I found. But the Bible speaks about spirituality, and I think it's a wonderful thing for us to look at. If you have your, your Bibles there, you could turn to Galatians chapter 6. I want to look at verses 1 and 2. We looked at Galatians earlier when we looked at verse 2 with that call to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. I want to give you the passage that precedes that, verse 1 and then verse 2. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, if anyone... I mean, I want to stop there. Did you hear the word anyone? Is anyone left out of anyone? It's all inclusive. If anyone, believer, unbeliever, whether you like them, don't like them, doesn't matter. If anyone is caught in any trespass, again, any is all inclusive. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one Examine yourself so that you too won't be tempted. And then verse 2 comes, Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Jesus Christ. It means don't alienate people when they sin. Rather, help them, lead them. I ask myself on occasion, you know, use this as a measuring stake. Is there unforgiveness in my life? Has somebody wronged me and I refuse to forgive them? If so, then I am not a spiritual man. I am being a carnal man, and that's a problem. We don't measure spirituality by hours spent in prayer or our ability to, to sit still and stare at the wall and hum in some attempt to meditate or something along those lines. Rather, spirituality is measured in our life by the absence of selfishness. Whether I have been hurt or wronged, no matter whether I'm right, no matter what, can I let that person go to be redeemed in that situation by the power of the blood of Jesus? 
Can I release that person to redemption? Can I help lead that person to redemption? Can I lay down the things that would, would cause me to want to say, you know what, they reaped it, or they sowed it, they can reap it. You know what, they caused this, they made that bed, they can lie in it. Or am I the one that is going to step up, lay down my hurt, my wound, what would be selfish in me, and help build that person up? I want to give you a passage out of the Proverbs here. I think this passage out of the Proverbs is an important one to note. It's the power of, of uh, covering. And remember, when we read about bearing, we talked about covering, to thatch, to cover, to protect. Proverbs 17, verse 9. The one that covers, or in this case, is the same definition as, as bears, the one that covers for the purpose of it not touching the person, the one who covers a transgression seeks love. Now remember the whole point, we're talking about love. Love being released. The one who's willing to cover or protect in the midst of a transgression seeks love. But the one who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. I mean, when that passage is read, it speaks volumes. Whether it's repetition, whether it's covering, no matter what stands out to you, the point is this, where there's not a covering or a willingness to bear with one another during hurt, wound, transgression, or sin, we see separation as the result. And I think you could look at our culture, whether it's the church culture, whether it's the, the culture of Christianity, whether it's the world's culture, and you can see a whole lot of separation. Separation. Separation bring, being the evidence that at some point there was a refusal or a denial to cover. So there's something that makes a way for this unity. I want to look at these things. I mentioned before we're going to find the pathway to unity. I want to give you a passage of scripture where I believe that pathway is laid out. You find it in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, I want to look at verses 12 through 14. And when you look at Colossians, when you begin to examine this passage of Scripture, you can see that it's, it's written to believers. I mean, it opens up with the words, you know, so as those who have been chosen of God. I mean, that's me, that's you. Anyone who's found in Jesus, this is being written to you. It's not being written to unbelievers, hoping that they'll catch it and then become believers, but this is written to believers who need to catch this. Remember, this is how we ought to live as Christians, meaning when you become a Christian, this is not automatic, but rather how we ought to choose to surrender selfishness and take up this call to live our lives as we're about to read. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and bear with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Does that sound familiar? It's the command Jesus gave. It's the law that we fulfill, according to Galatians, when we bear one another's burdens. According to Colossians, we see the definition of bearing with one another. Verse 13 reads, bearing with one another, and it goes on to describe bearing as forgiving each other. 
Whoever has a complaint against anyone. I love words like whoever and anyone. There's no, yeah, but you don't know what he did to me. Yeah, you don't know what she said to me. Yeah, you don't know how much they took from me. Yeah, but you just weren't there. You don't understand. I think it fits in here if we're dealing with everyone and anything. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you also should forgive. And then verse 4 reveals something great. Beyond all these things, then put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So there's something there that I want to share. I want to read that entire passage again, and I want to have our minds turned a certain direction. Have you ever seen in your Bibles, maybe sometimes words are italicized? You know, everything's straight up and down, and then there's like one word, and it's italicized. Some of you may have Bibles that have that. Let me just tell you what that means. It means that that word's really not in there, but it was introduced to make it readable. Or, or someone's interpretation of the context was going to be missing if that word was left out. Uh, not all languages are the same in their efficiency as others. And, and English has a lot of extra stuff in it that we've grown very used to, and if you take it out, it could make things seem a little choppy. Well, there's a couple of words here that are italicized. The words put and on. So beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Well, you could take the words put and on off of there and you would have this, beyond all of these things, love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And when I take those words out that really aren't in there and I see that, now I'm starting to see something take shape because I see beyond this, love. Well, what would it mean to be beyond? I mean, if I were to stand here and you were to stand beyond over there, it would mean that you were over there and I'm over here, right? If something's beyond something, it's after it, beyond it. That came and then that came beyond what's right here. It, it's not hard. But what you're seeing is this, this pathway to get to love being the, the ideal relational foundation for the body of Christ operating in our lives. Verse 12 reads like this. I want to read the whole thing through and I want to leave out the words that should be out. So as those who've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. That means forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should forgive them. Beyond these things is love which is the perfect bond of unity. I think we can be looking for love, but refusing to forgive, which means we're waiting for a ship that's not coming in. To get to that place where that perfect bond of unity, the love that God has called us to function and operate in, to get to that place as being the foundation that it's called to be in our relationships, it's going to require first bearing with one another, forgiving each other, we cannot have our cake and eat it too. I cannot hold my grudge against you and love you at the same time. I can't be the catalyst for all that is God himself, for God is love, and at the same time, not forgive. 
For us to have love as the foundation for our fellowship here in this body, for me to have love as the foundation in my marriage, for me to have love as the foundation with my sons, love as the foundation in any relationship that I'm called to bring love into, it's going to require me to bear with everyone in that relationship as Jesus would bear with me. It's going to require me to protect. Protect from what? The ravages of unforgiveness. The disease that is so corrupt. The only cure for it is to see it cast out. And the only way it's cast out is through the forgiveness that we've been empowered to minister through the blood of Jesus. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I've heard a number of messages on unity and and the importance of unity and and I've seen efforts to bring unity. But I think unity without bearing with one another. Is unity in vain? It's empty. And though it might be propped up for a season, it's destined to collapse. Collapse. But for us to build and for us to function, for us to operate in the love that is unifying like God's word reveals that it's unifying, we've got to be committed to bear with one another, which means forgiving each other, which means being able to put on, as the word put, that gentleness and that peace. It's going to call us to be spiritual, spiritual in the way God defines it, meaning willing to to lay down self. And to be just like Jesus. I really want to see the things that we say exist in our lives. When we declare love, I want there to be love. When I speak love, I want there to be love. Whether it's patience or kindness, any of the elements that make up love, I want it to be real. And for it to be real, it's going to involve bearing with one another. Not only involve it, but require it. So I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something great. I want to ask him to do something in our hearts and in our minds for the purpose of bringing us to a place where we can bear all things through the love that he's placed in us. And as I'm praying, I want to ask you simply be sensitive. God may reveal something to you that needs to be ministered to. An area of your life or a relationship where Uh, the need to forgive is present. I want to encourage you with this, not burden you with it, but encourage you. That need will never go away until this is ministered. The reason why that's an encouragement is because this can be ministered right here and now. So I want to pray together, and I want you to simply be in a state of agreement or receiving, and I want to trust that the Spirit of God will do the rest. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word to transform us. We desire to love as you've called us to love. That we would receive love as you've poured it out in our lives, but let it also be received for the purpose of being given. That the love that you have for us would flow through us and touch those around us. Let it not be edited or hindered in any way, but lead us to a place where our minds and our hearts can be yielded 
of all that is selfish, where we can be purged of that selfishness, where we can be released to do the works of Jesus Christ and bear with one another all things and everyone. Let forgiveness have its wonderful and powerful work in each one of us and let it lead us to that perfect bond of unity that you have promised in your word. We thank you for the love that you have richly bestowed upon us. And as we respond to your word, we ask for effective ministry to be the result. Reveal to us what we need to do to see this come to pass and let it be done for your namesake and your glory without any hindrance. We bless your name and we thank you for your love for each of us and your call upon our lives to do great things in your name. We rejoice in you and we celebrate your love in our lives and the presence of our King Jesus. We say thank you. We rejoice and we receive in Jesus' name. And all the saints declare, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.